Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that year after year after year continues to get snubbed for an Emmy, Oscar, Grammy, or Tony. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from my home uh, my home office here outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, in this week's show, in Pipe Parts, I've had requests for news, so we're going to do a... Uh, a, a State of the Union address, not the Union, but the State of the Pipe World address. Uh, my guest will be Neil Archer Roan, who's been on before, but we get to catch up with Neil and uh, get a little more into some details with Neil and what he likes and what he looks for at a pipe show. Uh, music to honor uh, Neil Pert and mailbag and rant all that coming up on this week's episode of the pipes magazine radio show uh and i and i gotta say the uh, last four days here at home uh we've got this subtropical storm that came through what does that matter to anybody in the pipe smoking world well we've had uh high temperatures in the low 70s lows at night in the low 60s humidity's been up so guess what i did yeah I went back and cracked open a can of uh, one of my straight Virginias and have been smoking it, and yeah, it's been a nice treat. So uh, you never know when the weather's going to change, and then you need to adapt your pipe smoking to it. Hey, I you know, look, I got a little summer break right here in the middle of winter, and I will definitely take that over uh, digging around in snow. Anyway, uh, remember you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to listen to this show. If you could, please keep sharing the Pipes Magazine radio show on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Share it in your Facebook groups or whatever, you know, posts or whatever. Keep spreading the word. Uh, We've had a good bump in listenership recently, and we want to keep that going. And uh, seeing a lot of growth out of the Spotify audience. So that's nice to see. Been a fan of Spotify for years. Uh, All right, let's get the show rolling so everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. This is Kevin Godby from PipesMagazine.com with some good news. Our favorite Dunhill tobaccos, early morning pipe and nightcap are two of my favorites, are now back under the Peterson brand name. These are not match blends where another maker tried to reverse engineer their blend to make something that's close to the original. These are the exact recipes and tobaccos being made in the same factory, STG in Denmark, where they've been making the Dunhill tobaccos for almost 10 years. They had about a year and a half, two year hiatus, and now they're back, still being made the same way, but now under the Peterson name. Check with your favorite retail tobacconist for early morning pipe, nightcap, royal yacht, Mixture 965, Elizabethan Mixture, Deluxe Navy Rolls, Flake, Dark Flake, and Standard Mixture, now under the Peterson name. Yep, still good. And we are back. All right, here in the United States, it's a tradition that in January sometime, the President of the United States goes behind, goes in front of a joint session of Congress, so that's all 535 representatives from the Senate and the House of Representatives, and delivers what's called the State of the Union Address. So I figured since a lot of you have asked for more news-related stuff and, uh, you know, a little behind-the-scenes stuff... Um, I've hesitated, you know, I've only brought on news when it's important for two reasons. One, because a lot of it's depressing. And two, uh, if you listen to the show at a later date, I want it to, you know, I don't want you to feel like you missed out on something. So I've tried to stay away from a lot of topical stuff. But 
there there has been a request for news related items and so i thought i would give what i'm gonna call the state of the hobby address and uh, you can uh, cue the presidential music right here there we go uh, so here's what's going on. The, the most recent, uh, the Chicago Pipe Show is uh, having some issues, and there are rumors flying. I have spoken with the folks at the Chicago Pipe Show, and if Pheasant Run is not ready to go and able to host us, they have an alternate location. So they do have an alternate location for the same weekend, uh, same first weekend in May. I, I don't know the details about the same lo uh, about the alternate location, but I do know that they fully that they figured that they will be able to have most of what we're used to doing at the show. So they do have an alternate location lined up for the same week. If Pheasant Run is not able to go and make a run for it, uh, and again, I'll, you know, as soon as they tell me something, I will let you all know what's going on with the Chicago Pipe Show. Uh, trade related here in the United States, uh, announced last week, four very large cigar companies pulled out of what is now called the premium cigar association. And if you remember, it used to be called the retail tobacco dealers association. Then it became the international premium cigar and pipe retailers association. And then last summer at the trade show, while I was there, they announced that they were changing it to the premium cigar association. Now, the the rumors, these four very large cigar companies, if I remember correctly, they account for about one-fifth to one-fourth of all the booth spaces on the trade show floor. Uh, this is a big chunk of landscape that is not going to be filled, and the trade association is not going to get 100% uh, of the revenue off of selling those spaces, and they've already contracted for them. So... You know, figure uh, a, an average space at about fifteen, eighteen hundred dollars. They're going to get fifty percent of that off of three hundred spaces. That's a big chunk of landscape. And uh, as I've told a couple of my friends, you know, if I was still working there, thank God I'm not, because that would be a big headache to rejuggle uh, stuff around. Now, what does that mean for us in the pipe and uh, tobacco hobby? Uh, not much. Not much. It may hurt attendance at the shows a little bit, but these large cigar companies that uh, that pulled out, you know, the retailers get those deals anyway. They see the new product anyway because those large companies all have reps that go into the stores. Uh, but again, it makes it may uh, it may be good for the pipe and tobacco retail uh, exhibitors at the show. Because maybe the retailers will have a little more time to wander around and shop the smaller booths because these big guys won't take up an hour or two of their time. Either way, it's going to make the show a little smaller and it's going to change things. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, and then in Europe, the uh, track and trace is causing problems with some pipe and tobacco manufacturers or with some tobacco manufacturers because uh, part of the new directive there that's rolled out about, uh, I don't know, nine months ago, maybe, um, is that each pack of tobacco has to be trackable and traceable to the day it was made and the batch that it was made from all the way from the manufacturer all the way out to retail. So you'll see a little black barcode, a little black uh, coded area with, uh, you know, with some numeric digits in it. Well, that is the track and trace, and it affects cigarettes as well as as well as roll your own and uh, you know just about anything else that's tobacco related in Europe. Well, that is causing problems. And uh, remember, you know, like my friends at McBaron, when they manufacture stuff, they were manufacturing in twenty some odd different languages just for the European continent. Well, now they have to add the track and trace onto that and have to be able to. Uh, you know, identify where everything is going. Uh, it's just another added level of bureaucracy that is causing problems. And it's also going to make it harder for the small guys. And, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that was the reason why the planta company decided to sell their pipe and tobacco, uh, their pipe tobaccos to McBaron because they didn't want to have to comply with the track and trace. Uh, 
Um, all those things, you know, affect us as a consumer because it changes availability of stuff. Uh, I do know that there is some availability issues with some blends of, in, in, in across the European Union just because of track and trace. Uh, finally, the FDA, I don't know much, uh, haven't heard much lately, but uh, as soon as uh, anything is really announced, I will make sure and get out there and let you know what's going on. All right, that is the uh, state of the pipe and tobacco hobby. And in just a moment, we'll have one of the uh, key figures from the hobby, Neil Rohn. This is Internet Radio. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at CND as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and bringing back to the show is Neil Archer Roan and uh, many of you first met, well, Neil, when you were first on, it was uh, about two and a half years ago, we talked about your blog, A Passion for Pipes. We've talked about your uh, Kamoy's Blue Riband collection, but I wanted to have you come back on so we can get a little bit deeper, a little more personal on a couple of issues, but... Uh, Neil Rohn, welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be back. So, first off, going back to your Blue Rye bands, uh, there was a straight Rhodesian that you were looking for about two, two and a half years ago. Have you gotten that one yet? Uh, you know, I believe that I have, as a matter of fact. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, out there looking for the chimera and uh if i keep looking eventually they surface so now do you feel your blue rye bands are complete or are you still uh, occasionally finding something else well i know that the collection isn't complete because they're because the pipes were always designated after they were made so no one knows really uh, what shapes were included in the uh, Blue Band collection and which ones weren't. So there's always room for a surprise, but so far the evidence would indicate that uh, I have pretty much what is out there, but I'm sure <laughs> lurking somewhere is something I don't have. And don't forget, Neil also put together a coffee table book on the Kamoy's Blue Rye Band collection and it's available at Smoking Pipes or at the uh, Briar Book Press so if you want to see uh, some of Neil's collection you can get the book uh, let, let, let's go back to when you uh, when you started pipe smoking and I, I want to get your take on some of your favorite uh, pipe shops of of the of the old days what were what were some of your favorite ones to go to well, you know, way back when I started smoking, I really didn't, uh, I didn't go to that many bricks and mortar shops because uh, where I lived and the places that I frequented just didn't have that many. And like a lot of people, I, I think uh, I wound up buying uh, pipes and tobaccos at drugstores and and occasionally at at a pipe shop um i i really don't remember the ones the the uh, bricks and mortar shops that were around way back when i started but over the years you know like a lot of pipe smokers i've gone to many many uh bricks and mortar shops and and uh 
as they've become rarer, they've become more precious. And as I hear about good ones, you know, I, I try to go to them because uh, they've become the good ones have become like destination point attractions. You know, they're, they're just their experiences that you have. And, and, uh, and I think, you know, they're becoming endangered and, you know, I don't know how much longer we're really going to have that many of them available. Um, one particular place that no longer exists that I absolutely loved and uh, would go to every single time I went to Memphis, Tennessee, was a place called the Tobacco Corner, which uh, was owned uh, and operated by Elliot Abel for ever. Uh, yeah. I believe that Elliot at one time was the was the president of uh, uh, IPCPR, is that what it was called? The uh, or RTDA, I think it was called back in his days. Yep. Um, and, uh, but Elliot was one of the uh, premier sellers of Blue Rabans, and, and <laughs> his collection was the very first large assemblage of Blue Rabans that I ever saw. But it was his shop was located uh, out on Mendenhall in uh, East Memphis, uh, right across the railroad tracks on I, on a corner there, and uh, I t- I took a lot of photographs of the inside of that place because it kind of looked like um, like a, one of the shops uh, from the Harry Potter movies in Diagon Alley, <laughs> where everywhere you look was some old piece of tabakiana, some bowl, some poster, some crazy uh, old sign. And uh, one of the things that really amused me about that shop with the display cases, which lined the walls of the shop, were not full of pipes that were for sale. They were full of pipes from Elliot's collection, <laughs> uh, specifically of Savinelli's that he just showed and and the the pipes that were for sale were uh shown other places but there were a lot of pipes that were just up there for display <laughs> but this was a place <laughs> this was just an incredible place i mean one of the things i loved about it is as i love about really good bricks and mortar shops is that it was always full of a, a cadre of regulars whose names i got to know pretty well one guy I remember pretty well was a fellow named Bill Archer. Uh, and since he had my middle name as a last name, I and looked a lot like my Uncle June. Uh, I loved sitting and talking with him, loved sitting and talking with Elliot as well. Uh, but this was a place where I bought, I, I don't know, I, I bet I bought 100 cans of McClellan, Virginia's in there and all kinds of stuff. Bought fountain, He has had fountain pens for sale and and tobaccos and pipes and you know i bought several pipes there it was just an absolutely splendid place messy cluttered (laughs) completely disorganized you know um but the interesting thing was the people that worked there could find anything and find it in a heartbeat and they would do amazing things to take care of you if you were a customer I just, I just love that place. I really, really loved it. Sounds like one of those places where they may not have gotten a new shipment in in a month or so, but you'd go back and there'd be new stuff to, for you to look at anyway. Absolutely. Well, it was. It's impossible to look at everything in that shop because there's so much to look at. You couldn't, you couldn't possibly look at it all. I mean, I, when I say it look, it looked like a shop from Diagon Alley. I'm really not kidding. I mean, <laughs> the, the photographs I've taken of that place are so full of things inside it that that it looks like you couldn't get anything else in there. Um, and I believe that they that uh, the people who bought those buildings, uh, LA had a newsstand next to the pipe shop for a long time. So there were, you know, in the back rooms, you know, looked like a hoarder's paradise with stacks and stacks of old magazines and oh. newspapers and books and all kinds of stuff back there. Uh, you would, you know, I believe that that place that they tore it down. 
it's no longer there. But it's, I mean, it was a monument. Anybody, anybody who'd ever been through Memphis, anybody who, who uh, loved pipes and tobaccos knew about the corner, as it was called. And I met some of the most incredible people there. I met one guy who took me down to a railroad depot and who was in the spice business. And I mean, you haven't lived until you've seen train car loads full of spices, of paprikas and cinnamon and cloves and all this <laughs> stuff. And this guy would have these rare spices, you know, shipped in from all over the world and then he'd distribute them. I met that guy, and another guy that I met was a world champion barbecue uh, guy who who went around the country and and competed in these barbecue contests using the you know Memphis style barbecue. And uh, I I went to several events where he was cooking, and they were just incredible. I met a guy who was just a superb architectural photographer there, and and. I mean, plus every measure of scoundrel and rapscallion and rope and storyteller <laughs> and liar and, and, you know, lawyer. I, well, I guess I'm repeating myself um, <laughs> that you could imagine. I mean, it was just an absolutely fantastic place. I loved it. And not too far from the river. So you probably had some riverboat gamblers and uh, horse thieves. Oh, I tell you, there was, you know, that's the great thing about Memphis is it's, it is the crossroads of the world when it comes to undesirables. That's why I was there. (laughs) (laughs) That rogue classical guitar musician. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's really interesting. I could be gone for a couple of years and I'd be back to see my client and I'd go and walk into the corner and everybody in there turn around, look at me and they'd all say, hello, Neil. I mean, it was just amazing. Those people would remember you. Uh, It was just a great thing. You always felt like you were coming home. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, maybe get some more stories from Neil and then photography and a whole lot more. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste, and whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe, just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm, smoking pipes in faithful service of the hobby. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Neil Archer Roan. Um, <laughs> I'm picturing you as this rogue, uh, this rogue classical musician with your guitar on your back and just, you know, working your way across the country. But um, <laughs> that you don't see a lot of street musicians playing classical guitar, do you? Well, not here, you know. I mean, they do exist, but uh, not too much in the U.S., that's for sure. <laughs> Um, are, so let, let's, let's go on to the, onto the pipe show scene for a little bit, because, uh, in, when you were on before, we talked a little bit about some of the, uh, some of the unique people that you meet and how, when you get to a pipe show and you meet somebody, you may be from completely different worlds, but because we all smoke a pipe, we all come together, uh, are, are there any of the more unique characters that you can kind of share with us that you've met at pipe shows or interesting people besides me? Well, yeah, well, you know, you're right. I was going to, you just took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to start with you. Um, you know, the, the thing about the pipe community is it is as diverse and as interesting uh, a cross section of humanity as one could hope to come across. I, uh, I'm frequently asked by friends of mine who are 
really uh, kind of, kind of a, I guess, a kind of a mix of, of uh, amazed and curious about my fascination with the pipe world. They can't, they can't figure it out. Um, you know what it is and who, who do I see there and the people that I meet and uh, but I mean the truth is is that you you never know what kind of person or what uh, what kind of history you're going to come across in the pipe world I've met people all over the world at pipe shows uh, from all over the world who are some of the most fascinating and extraordinary characters that anyone could imagine. You know, one of, one of my absolute favorite people in the whole world is a storyteller. Uh, I mean, he's a professional storyteller and was uh, a writer and a journalist and a photographer and, and uh, taught at universities. Uh, I'm sure you know him too, Brian, a fellow named Raleigh Perry. Yeah, uh, who is one of the most interesting people that uh, I have ever t- run across, and and he he actually personifies that old nineteenth century um, paradigm of the raconteur. You know, the person who who can mesmerize you and hold you uh, wrapped with attention as he spins his yarns and tells his stories. And, you know, he's extraordinarily gifted and funny and able to, uh, to, you know, take you on a journey into the fantastic and in many cases, (laughs) uh, unreal world that he inhabits. Uh, and just just an ex, an extraordinary person, you know. He one of my favorite stories that he tells people, you know, when he's traveling, as will people often do, they'll ask Raleigh what he does for a living, and he will he'll tell them that uh, you know, in a very slow, slow, excruciating way, that he is <laughs> that he's in the services business, and then that he is involved you after another 15 minutes of trying to drag it out of him you find out that he's a repo man and then he keeps going and then at the end of the day kind of you finally get to the point where he tells you that what he does for a living is he repossesses coffins and of course people go crazy they can't imagine well how can you repossess a coffin i mean people are buried and he says well you buy a car you don't pay for it it gets repossessed you know you buy a house you don't pay for for it you know it gets foreclosed he says you don't pay for your coffin he says i'm going to repossess it you know and that's uh (laughs) that's the kind of extraordinary thing that he takes people through and it's really hilarious to watch it happen he's an extraordinary person you know other people that i've met in this world uh are you know i mean it's just populated with an incredible people one of the best surgeons in the country and medical director at a major hospital met through the pipe world a fellow who's who is uh uh you know founded and run ran one of the largest creative syndicate organizations in the country uh, rick newcomb who is a friend yeah. of yours and mine i met through the pipe world a famous cartoonist guy jim amish who's you know, uh, people know him through his tobacco reviews, but also as you know, uh, one of the premier anchors. And there is a fellow who's a CEO of companies here and abroad, became a very close friend of mine, who I'm sure you know as well, John Gus. Uh, people in yeah. the advertising industry, people in the in uh insurance people you know in who are judges and doctors and lawyers and and uh i mean research scientists one of the most fascinating people i've ever met in my life is a fellow uh who is who um you know he's got a phd and he's a research chemist and a scientist from philadelphia a fellow named Les, uh who is just you know just an extraordinary individual I mean, you don't know who you're talking to a lot of the time in the pipe world. You know, uh, 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 many, many times they'll have uh, very advanced educations. They'll have advanced experience. They will be, 
you know, there'll be writers, there'll be uh, filmmakers, and one of the best people in the filmmaking business uh, is a barling collector, Jesse Silver. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have people in, in, the, in the pipe world who are just uh, really, really extraordinarily interesting, you know. I think a lot of us, myself included, are drawn to the artisans who inhabit the, the pipe world, the people who make who make pipes, and some of them are are really uh, revered and loved. Uh, I'll never forget uh, a couple of years ago, I sat for you know several hours with Lars Everson having a talk about you know, raising sheep and gardening and <laughs> yeah. all kinds of things. And, and, you know, Lars was, uh, one of the, the people who I would say the word legend applies to in terms of pipe makers. I mean, how many people do you know, get five figures for a smoking pipe, uh, which Lars did and people would buy the pipes out of his mouth. They would want them so badly there so hard to get <laughs> absolutely because um, that was actually one that was there <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. they're so so incredibly hard to get i mean you you the this scene is is really extraordinary in that it is it is full of people who whose importance is really you know often uh remarkable but because they are also humble and unassuming and warm and friendly, you know, you don't know how important they are because they don't wear that like a suit of clothes to impress people. They just are there. So that kind of brings me to the other thing, because you, you were the first person that I can remember that was going around pipe shows and you were much more interested in getting pictures of the people at the show instead of the pipes i mean before that you'd see a uh, posting on asp of you know photographs from a show and it was rows and rows and rows of pipes or a, you know a really pretty pipe or an old tobacco or this that and the other uh but then the first time i really noticed it you sat down you spent uh, i think a whole entire chicago pipe show just walking around catching people in the action well you know i think the people at pipe shows are incredibly interesting in terms of how they look um their their faces are are often you know real studies in character traits and uh you know they're they are people who are not necessarily the best dressed people you'll ever find <laughs> yeah. uh, with a few exceptions. There are some real, uh, there are some people who, who dress extraordinarily well in the pipe world. And, but, you know, by and large, what you see are faces that are interesting. And, you know, for me, Brian, the, the reason that I go to, pipe shows and to pipe events is to be with the people because I find them fascinating and I find them, um, you know, unlike any other community that I've ever really come to know. I mean, one of the things that, that I love about the pipe world and with all due respect to the fairer sex is that it is one of the places where men gather, where, uh, where, you know, there is this real strong sense of community bond. Um, and it's very egalitarian. I mean, you can have a lot of money or, and a lot of, or a lot of education or a lot of professional status or whatever, but in the pipe world, it's, it's a place where people really are treated as equals and they relate to each other as equals. You know, it's all about our shared love of you know the briar and the leaf and our experiences you know get shared uh with one another you know through wreaths of of blue and gray smoke that are wafting around the pipes and the people and you know visually it's a feast you know the people are incredibly interesting 
there's this, you know, there's this great quote about, you know, when you're 20, you get the faith, you have the face God gave you. And, you know, when you're 60, you have the face you deserve. <laughs> and, and you see, you see these faces of people and you, what you see is, you know, you see generosity, you see humility, you see warmth. You see sometimes tragedy, sometimes you see extraordinary sadness or loneliness. Sometimes you see, uh, you know, brotherly and familial love. I mean, those are, you know, those are the characters that populate the faces of the world of pipes and tobaccos. And so for me, walking around with a camera and being able to capture that and just for a brief moment, because I mean, really, where this is a this time we live in is a snap of the fingers, you know, to be able to document and to show, you know, this was our time, this was our place, this was our community. I think it's it's important uh, and also a privilege to be able to do it. Now, I'm going to put in a question that I didn't prep you for, um, but I want your opinion of it because you have. Uh, you have an eye for photography. You have an eye for design. Uh, you've got a musical background. When a when you are first looking at a pipe maker that you've never seen their pipes before, how do you kind of approach the pipes? What are what are you looking for? What are you looking at in them? Um, what's your what's your process? Well, I approach pipes the same way I approach photography or painting or printmaking or you know fine arts press or furniture or anything else that requires you know skills and experience to to be good at doing and that is that i look at what i would say is a body of work if i walk up to you know a display and i see a group of pipes what i'm looking at is you know is not is there one great pipe on that table that I absolutely love or what am I interested in buying? I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at the at each of those pieces and how in design terms and aesthetic terms those pipes or those pieces relate to one another. You know, it doesn't it 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 actually isn't a great accomplishment to make a single beautiful pipe. I've seen that, you know, hundreds of thousands of times. I'm not saying it's easy because it isn't, but, you know, it is possible to make a beautiful object, but to establish a body of work that communicates a point of view, an approach to the briar, an approach to design, a sensitivity to line and proportion and color and weight and balance, uh, and a, a sensitivity to the idiosyncrasies of the pipe smoker, that is, th those things are the mark of an experienced artisan who, who knows what he or she is doing and who, has, who brings themselves fully to making pipes. Um, so for me, it's, it's not about the goose, it's about the gaggle. <laughs> uh, it, it's really about the about all of the work, because if there isn't a body of work, I mean, if you can't actually see, you know, that the how the work emerged uh, and how and where, you know, where you think it might be going, you know, it's really not all that interesting to me, because as I've said, you know, there are people who can make, you know, who can make pipes and they're and they're pretty. And they're probably going to smoke pretty well, and they're probably made from pretty good wood. But, you know, that extra layer of that, you know, having that point of view and, you know, having an ability to communicate, um, you know, I think of it as almost, you know, I think of it if it were, uh, you know, a word you know, what's the root of that word? Where did it come from? What language, what place, what tradition, what culture? You know, it's it's the line forward um, that 
extends through each of the objects that that really matters and that's what i really look at so if you see a pipe maker you're uh, and there's one pipe that you really like but there's yeah you're you're looking at the entire body beef or the the entire amount of pipes that they've presented uh just to make sure that they've got a that they've got the idea and then you might pick out the one that really speaks to you exactly exactly and you know in in my own collection um you know what i have really reflects that point of view i i have always been a a fairly deep collector i mean you know if i think i have nearly 30 of chris hysteria's pipes i have probably that many of michael linder's i have you know a couple of dozen of jody davis's i have quite a few uh Todd Johnson's, I have, you know, I have, you know, nearly 90 Blue Rabans. I mean, it's, to me, it's about, it's about the assemblage of the work. It's about the relationship of each of those pieces to each other. Um, that, and in, so that when someone looks at those pieces, they see the relationship of the pieces to one another and the range of skills and, uh, and you know traits and designs that 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 artist has worked with um you know i started adam davidson is another artist that i've collected pretty deeply and i started getting his pieces when he was you know pretty green and you know it's been you know well over a decade after that and you can see that trajectory of his development yeah. in the collection and I, that's the kind of collection that i really admire in other people is you know an array of work that really shows what that artisan is capable of doing when uh, we'll, we'll pick on chris estereo because I, I love him to death and he makes some uh, just some fantastic looking pipes um uh, but when you're when you're looking at his display of pipes at the chicago pipe show uh are there requirements that you have for a purchase yeah is there something is there a requirement of the pipe before it gets added to your collection or will you just look at each individual piece and say all right this yeah this may not be my normal style or shape or doesn't kind of fit the flow of the collection uh which way do you go with that well you know, with Chris, I'm. That's a really good question with him because it's and, and it's my answer is going to be somewhat different than it would be with some other people. Typically, when I'm looking at pipes from an artisan, I'm thinking about how comfortable it's going to be for me personally as a as a pipe that I'm going to smoke and enjoy. But that's not the case with Chris's work at this point because I have so many pieces of his that I do love to smoke and that I enjoy. Um, I'm now looking for what I consider is an example of his best work, the where I believe he's pushing the envelope and where I think he is striking into new territory. An example of that is um, at the last Chicago show, I bought a, a calabash that has a silver a sterling silver frustum and that is in other words the the dome of the briar insert is entirely silver and the rest of the pipe is sand, black sandblast except for for the military the army mount where the, the stem enters the shank that's also silver to me that piece is about the interplay of you know two classic materials that artisans have used for centuries silver and briar and chris taking one of the the most iconic shapes the calabash and using those materials in contrast to accentuate the form so i bought that piece because it is an example it exemplifies his creative and design trajectory <laughs> and chris who is an architect is all about design he's all about proportions he's all about uh, exploring new ideas and so <clears throat> at this point what i'm trying to do is to in my own collection 
is to document his development as an artisan rather than just by uh, pipes that I'm going to enjoy smoking. And in the case of some of the other pipe makers that you have a collection of, uh, you you may limit yourself and say, no, this is in my wheelhouse, where this may be a nice piece, but it's out of my wheelhouse. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I do tend to buy pieces mostly that I'm going to be interested in using um, because because that's, you know, that's, at the end of the day, that's really satisfying is that relationship between me and, and, and the pipe and my enjoyment of it. Um, but, and it's also, you know, fundamentally, it's essentially, you know, what the artisan is about. Yeah. Um, you know, and I would say I have, you know, to, to some extent I have a, a somewhat similar relationship to Jeff Grasick's work and that I am interested in getting pieces that I think are really representative of what he's really doing and what he's focusing on and what he's interested in producing. Um, I mean, he's an, in, an incredibly talented and much sought after uh, producer of great smoking pipes. Um, and, you know, so, you know, having some of his pieces, I mean, for me is, is, you know, it's a real joy because I get a joy from using them, but there is also, I have known him since his first pipe. Um, (laughs) and you know, I have an affection for him as a person and, you know, as someone who I've watched grow into just this remarkable force. Neil, that is a perfect place for us to wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer. You got them once before. We won't compare them. So it's just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Yes. What is your favorite pipe? I, I still think I, it's the Jack Howell 283 Kamoi. Reproduction of a 283 shape of Kamoi. And what is your favorite tobacco? Uh, McClellan, Virginia, 27. Bless you. Um, what is your favorite drink? Uh, well, I've stopped drinking, uh, alcohol altogether. So when it was, it was a Manhattan. Uh, and when I was still uh, drinking alcohol these days, it's ginger beer. Mm. And I love fever tree. <laughs> uh, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Uh, I would say I'm in my movie phase. I love a good movie. And then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory from the past couple of years that we didn't talk about? Well, I think, uh, gosh, I've got, I have so many pipe smoking related memories that are, you know, that really matter to me. I think, I can I can tell you one that really does matter to me a great deal, and that is that when I was at the New York show, I saw in Rolando Negoita's uh, um, smoking holsters holster a an absolutely gorgeous Briar and Damascus steel pipe knife that he had made, and uh, with a seahorse coming off off of the blade. And I absolutely fell in love with it. I asked Rolando if I could look at it, and I held it and and, uh, and admired the the, the hand forged Damascus steel. And I tried so hard to buy that knife. I just, I told Rolando, <laughs> "Name your price. I want to buy this pipe knife." And he absolutely refused to. Uh, he refused to sell it. He just wouldn't do it. And he looked at me. He says, "I will make you one, Neil." He says, "I won't charge you. I'll just, I'll make you one. I'll go home and I promise I'll make you one just like it." But I'm not selling you mine. And in fact, he did do that. He went back to the Hudson Valley where he lived, and he one day a box showed up, and it had this exquisite, almost perfect twin to his own knife that he had made for me. And uh. and it was not very long after that that he had his stroke, and he's no longer in our pipes and tobaccos world making things. And I, every time I pick that knife up and I hold it and I use it, I'm reminded of his warmth and his generosity and making and promising that knife. And I, 
I have it right now in my vest pocket. And in fact, I'm holding it. Neil, thanks for coming back on. Thanks for the stories and uh, and and the great photography. And I just I look forward to seeing you in Chicago. Look forward to seeing you too, Brian. Thanks for the great talk. We'll be back in just a minute. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark, and like you, there can only be one Savinelli. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. This is Internet Radio. And we are back. Uh, if you ever do get a chance to run into Neil at a uh, pipe show, try to try to sit down, you know, try to get a seat next to him and just He's just one of the most humble and eloquent people you'll ever meet. All right, speaking of another Neil uh, from Rush, the drummer Neil Pert passed away this past week, and uh, while he didn't smoke a pipe, he was very influential on my early uh, music likings, and uh, Getty Lee's rumored to have uh, smoked a pipe early on. Don't know if he still does, but we uh, we consider him a pipe-smoking brother. So, uh, in honor of Neil Peart, uh, this week's music is from Rush's second album called Fly By Night, and it's the title track, Fly By Night.
Pert is on the list of every one of the uh, every list of the greatest drummers in rock and roll. Probably one of the greatest drummers in history. Master, I have mail for you. In the mailbag, remember if you have a comment or a question for me, email me Brian at pipesmagazine.com or, or you can go to the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Pipes Magazine and post it there. Uh, you can also, if you want to, follow me on uh, Facebook and Instagram and uh, you know just look me up there. Um, if you're having trouble finding me on Instagram, it's BrianLL23. Uh, going back to last week's show with uh, Paul Allen, Ira the Writing Rabbi says, Hi Brian, a very enjoyable conversation with Mr. Allen and I'm thinking about picking up his book. Slightly disappointed that he doesn't smoke a pipe. Uh, I suppose a tutorial on the tamper pick might be necessary, but it seems a bit of a stretch. Okay, I can, I can go with that. Uh, and then he goes on to say, I noticed that you got away from co-hosted shows. Whatever happened to Shane Ireland and Tom, uh, Tom Provost co-hosting? Or are there any others that could co-host once in a while? When Jeff Grasick is on with you, it is also fun. Still always a pleasure to listen, best Ira. Uh, so the co-hosting thing, it just got, you know, everybody's schedules got busy or just felt like maybe we were repeating ourselves. So just kind of went by the wayside. Um, the, uh, we, we've got more of Jeff coming up and remember if you have a question for the ask the pipe maker segment, you can email them to me, uh, and I'll, uh, we'll get recording again shortly with them. Uh, Dan, Casey Ghost says, when it comes to tampers, the simple pipe nail works best for me despite all the custom tampers I own. I had high hopes for this episode but ended up disappointed. Paul was interested in what he wanted to talk about, but he lacked the ability to get me interested in what he was saying. I guess the problem was him being a total non-smoker, he just couldn't create a common ground for us. Uh, do like me some Satchmo, though. Yeah. Um, listen, and, and I'll, I'll say not every, uh, not every guest is going to be for every listener. That, that's flat out simple. And it's okay. I was perfectly fine with the fact that Paul doesn't smoke. I was perfectly fine with the fact that he told the story of his dad from a historical point of view and the uh, political nature of the Canadian Leaf Company. So, and most of that leaf is for cigarettes, uh, but still an interesting background and an interesting part of the story. Um, Renfield wrote, uh, Paul's book sounds interesting. I had no idea that tobacco was grown commercially that far north. I learned something every week. See, there you go. Uh, and then he goes on to write, uh, excellent interview as usual. Brian sets the standard on how to do it right with a wide variety of guests who may or may not be comfortable speaking publicly. This is why I listen every week. Enough said. Uh, and then he says, I couldn't agree more with the rant. While I completely believe that private businesses are entitled to run themselves as they see fit, uh, as they see fit, they so often choose to do so in a hypocritical fashion. I'll vote with my dollars. There you go. Uh, and I also heard from a couple others, including, uh, including Brad from Las Vegas, asking if that's legal. <laughs> And uh, apparently it is because a lot of companies will not allow or will uh, not hire nicotine users. And, uh, you know, the, the U.S. government and the states are allowing that to happen. So the only way to change that is to write your congressman, write your members of the House of Representatives. Um, I would simply ask them, you know, what other legal products are we not allowed to use if we, uh, you know, what other legal products are we not allowed to use daily or recreationally uh, that would, per, you know, that would prevent us from getting hired? So um, it, it's only, you know, it, it, if this keeps going this way, it's only a matter of time before uh, obesity becomes the next thing that, that uh, you know, that, that gets picked on. So there you go. Um, on iTunes, we have had uh, four or five reviews uh, recently, which I greatly appreciate. Uh, well, we've had four or five ratings. We've had two reviews, and I'll read them right here. Uh, 
titled Great Podcast About Pipes. It's from Jeff Meit, M-E-I-T. Uh, he says this podcast is very informative and entertaining. Always look forward to each episode and love when he sprinkles in non-pipe related items. Oh, good. I do too. Uh, and then from P-Side 81, uh, he says, reliably good. As a new pipe smoker, uh, I found this podcast very inform- I find this podcast very informative as well as a pseudo introduction to the pipe community. I appreciate how many podcast uh, how many topics this podcast spans and how varied the interviews are. Last but not least, the rants are pure enjoyment. <laughs> well, hopefully you purely enjoy the one coming up in just a moment. And remember, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review. We'd greatly appreciate that. Um, it is a uh, high travel season or high cruise selling season. So if you're interested in going on a cruise, email me, Brian at pi- uh, Brian.Levine at mei-travel.com or just you know reach out to me. Happy to help. If you're going anywhere on a trip, reach out to me before you do that because I've had a couple of folks recently that I've just given my two cents on and you know, didn't sell them anything, and I was perfectly, perfectly happy to help that. So there you go. All right, rant time coming up next. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. that has two different ways to spell it. There's B-R-I-A-N, and then there's the wrong way. Or, well, anyway, (laughs) there's B-R-Y-A-N. And, uh, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I used to say, I don't care how you spell it, just make sure that you uh, spell it correctly on checks. Well, now we're in the modern age. We're in the modern age where texting, tweeting, emailing, uh, typing are much more, much more common. In fact, if you go onto Instagram or Facebook and look for me and spell my name with a Y, you're not going to find me. It's one simple letter. Uh, So do make sure that when you're talking to people, yeah, do make sure that when you're talking to people nowadays that you get the correct spelling of their name. Also, you might want to get the correct gender that they reference too, because I have a wife whose name is Dale, and that can be mostly male, but some females named Dale. So pay attention, people. Pay real close attention, because it'll help you in the long run. Even if you just work at uh, Starbucks and you're a barista there and you grab the name and whatever and you spell it however you think it is, no, you need to get into the practice for the rest of your life of spelling the name correctly. Now, if you really want to confuse people, well, I like to, and it's kind of fun, uh, when people ask me how do you spell your name because they are paying attention and they want to do it correctly, I tell them I have no question in the middle of my name. And then they look at me and I go, all right, is it B-R-I-A-N or B-R-Y? Yeah, no question. No Y in the middle of my name. Uh, The young folks tend to look at me sideways and try to figure that out. But it's half the fun of being me. And when I'm out in public, I like to play with the public. So there you go. All right, once again, comments or questions, email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. Travel-related stuff, Brian.Levine, B-R-I-A-N dot L-E-V-I-N-E, at M-E-I-Travel.com. Thanks to Neil for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. Happy trails to you. Happy trails to you.
bombadira, 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 Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. And remember, if you've enjoyed this show half as much as I have, well, I've obviously enjoyed it twice as much as you.